0: some writings I had done some years ago, and as I was reading that, I came across this quote that I used from Mohandas Gandhi as he's talking to a pastor. And, and while Gandhi was doing his experiments in India and kind of trying to create this perfect society of peace, he was walking alongside many followers of Jesus and many pastors and, and priests, and in it he in this time, he begins to write to one of his friends who is a pastor. And he writes this. You Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, to turn the world upside down, and to bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it's nothing more than a piece of good literature. We treat the Bible, this this dynamite document, as nothing more than a piece of literature. But here, Gandhi, a person outside of the faith, is able to look at the Bible as this thing that has the ability to blow civilization to pieces. Man, what would happen if we lived with that kind of reality? What if we, we took our passion for the Scriptures to the point where it changed us, where we didn't just show up on Sunday mornings, but where we actually were constantly aware of our mission in the world. Our ability to look everywhere and see where the Gospel is not yet then becomes sharper and sharpened. And we find ourselves driven to be fluent, not in our ability to judge, not in our ability to to say the right things, but our ability to be fluent in the gospel. Well, this morning, that very idea is what we are going to talk about as we move into our new series, Check Yourself. Now, in the early 90s, there was a, a rapper named Ice Cube who Uh, kind of trademarked this iconic line, and he wrote a song called Check Yourself that went to the number one charts, and in it he delivers a warning to those who are opposing him that they better put themselves in check. His song delivered the iconic line, you better check yourself before you, yes, so you may not know the song, and I recommend you don't listen to the song. But it is a saying that has become ingrained into our American culture. We all know that you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. In fact, this saying has been used by doctors as reasons to self-check yourself uh, in advance of disease and cancer. In fact, we have found this line in our favorite sitcom shows as one-liners. It has even shown up in kids' movies like shrek If you're like me, you use that as a great parenting one-liner to make your kids stop and think about what they're doing. You better check yourself, right? We know this saying. And and throughout November, we'll be looking at Paul's letter of Philippians as a story and as a, a, a benchmark to check ourselves against. And this is a church that has pursued and proclaimed and spoke, and understood, and bought into the gospel really, really well. And so using them as a benchmark to check our own selves by. Check Yourself is our four-week, I do not have uh, control, Check Yourself is our four-week Sunday morning series through Philippians, which encourages us to check ourselves, to make sure that we are postured in love, knowledge, And depth with our gospel fluency. And we are postured with love, knowledge, and depth with our gospel fluency. This letter is written to a gospel-driven community. And it has great implications to those of us who want to be postured as a church community with more intentionality with the gospel. Now, Philippians is one of the shortest books of the Bible, but it's also regarded as one of the most beautiful. Time and time again, if you look at the story of Philippians in commentaries, they refer to this letter, this this short book, as beautiful. We see a different side of Paul. Paul's not rebuking people. Paul's encouraging people. The book of Philippians was written by Paul while he was stuck in prison. And some have suggested that Paul writes to the Philippians from... Caesarea or uh, Ephesus, but traditionally most people and most commentaries and historians believe Paul is writing from Rome. The city of Philippi never no longer exists, though its remains can be found in what is now northern Greece. And that's some of its remnants there. Philippi was actually named after Alexander the Great. So think Roman history, think Roman the Great, and his dad's name was Philip. So Philip, Alexander the Great's dad, chose and built this city at a prime location. It was well protected. There were hills that were coming out of the Asian countryside that protected it. And it was chosen along what would become Rome's greatest road. The road that would move uh, people and things from Europe to Asia. This city of Philippi sat right along this road of progress. Historians have pointed out that uh, in many ways Philippi had become a mini Rome. They wore Roman dress, and every part of their economy and law and every part of their culture had kind of revolved around the ways of Rome. It was obvious that Paul is aware of this as he writes. And we see this time and time again. In fact, in Philippians 3.20, if you would look at that, and we're not going to right now, Paul writes, our commonwealth is in heaven. However, the word that he used there for commonwealth is actually a play on the nickname for Rome. And he literally was saying our capital city, our commonwealth, our capital city is not Rome, it is heaven. And so We see time and time again that Paul is very aware of the reality of this town as he writes it. So here's a letter that Paul writes from imprisonment. And it's a letter of great encouragement that shows that even though he's in prison, even though he's in chains and he's locked up and he's far away from Philippi, he's very much still in tune and invested with what is happening in their community. Philippi is on the line between Asia and Europe, and really it makes... Philippi, the first European church plant. So in early church history, we have the Jerusalem church, then we have the Pauline churches. This is the first to really start the European churches. The church was planted, and we see the story in Acts 16 of when Luke and Timothy and Paul show up and they encounter this woman who, who's kind of possessed, and that whole, uh, whole encounter turns out to plant a, ch- a, uh, a church in the house of Lydia. And that took 10 years prior to the letter we're going to read this morning. Paul had visited them twice since then, one five years prior. And this church was predominantly non-Jewish. There was not a lot of Jewish people in this town because it was on the road in between Asia and Europe. It was a town that had very much become highly pagan and highly Gentile, and so the church was as well. Though Paul's, through Paul's writing we can see both his personal investment with the church and that he himself saw them as a benchmark or an achievement for a healthy community. The growing church in Philippi had heard of Paul's imprisonment, and there were rumors of his looming fate. Captors in this time did not traditionally get fed three square meals a day in prison, as we think of now, right? We've all heard people joke well, maybe I should just go to jail where I can get free meals, right? That is, one, not even a true statement of today. But, but if we would understand how prison worked in this time, it was even less than that. You depended on your friends, your family, or your savings to survive in jail. So if you didn't have money, friends, or family, you didn't eat. And if you don't eat, we all know what happens. Captors did not traditionally supply for their own needs, uh, and for the prisoners' needs and foods. And so the church realized this. They hear Paul's imprisoned, <clears throat> and the church in Philippi begins to collect money for Paul's hardship. They pass the hat, they pass a plate, whatever you want to call it, and they put a whole bunch of money together for Paul. And they decide that not only are we going to send Paul money, but we are going to send Paul help. And so they call one of their church leaders, <coughs> Ephratus, <coughs> excuse me, Ephraim. And they let, he takes the money, and he leaves for Rome. Now, he shows up, and he presents the money to Paul, and he says that I am also part of the gift. I am to be your assistant, and I am going to work alongside you while you are in prison. I am going to walk with you in this time. So while visiting Paul, though, on sadly, he becomes seriously ill. And luckily, he gets better, uh, we believe, but... Paul eventually sent him back to the church in Philippi with a letter of gratitude. Thank you for the help. Thank you for the assistance. Thank you for the money. It has been a great encouragement to me. And that thank you letter that he sent back with Ephraim is what we are going to read this morning. The book of Philippians, as we call it, is nothing more than a thank you letter that Paul sent back to a church who had fully, fully bought into his gospel mission. This is where we're going to pick up this morning. As we begin to think about this series, I want to read just two commentaries that kind of give us an oversight of what we're going to be seeing. The Layman's Bible Commentary says, the occasion of the letter is not doubtful. Paul's primary purpose when he wrote Philippians was to say thank you to his old friends for their generosity. But he also used the occasion to persuade them to mend certain little rifts that are appearing in their fellowship and give them news about Ephratus and about himself. And T. Wright says, The confidence Paul has throughout this letter is that God himself is a finisher as well as a beginner. The particular work which he has begun and will finish is the work of grace through the gospel in the hearts and the lives of the Philippian Christians. This morning we are going to be looking at Philippians 1, 3 through 18, and you're going to find the text overhead, but I encourage you, if you uh, are unable to see, to look and follow along in the Bible. The other thing I would encourage you is to pay attention to what stands out to you as we read through this passage. I encourage you to look at what verses kind of sit uncomfortably with you or what kind of ones encourage you and a lot of times when we read scripture and we begin to see okay that makes me uncomfortable or i like that part those things are places that the lord is inviting you to kind of sit with and to grow into and so i encourage you this week if anything stands out to you in this passage just sit with it throughout the week philippians 1 3 through 18. I thank God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I've had you in my heart, and whenever I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you will be able to discern what is best and what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole whole palace, guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains. Most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others preach out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, it is more than obvious that the church in Philippi has a very, very special place in the heart of Paul. Here, even when he mentions his prayers, it's obvious that Paul is bubbling over with encouragement and love and gratitude for them. Throughout this short letter, Paul constantly refers to them as bringing joy to him. And we actually see some form of the word joy appear 19 times throughout this whole book. However, it's in this passage that we first And foremost, find the reason for Paul's joy, the partnership of the church, the partnership of the church. Paul had viewed the church as his co-laborers and co-workers. You share in the grace. You are in my heart. Likewise, when we see the church send money and an assistant to aid Paul, we witness the reality that the Paul to the church was also a co-laborer and co-worker, And they realized that they were in partnership with him, and he wasn't able to work, so they needed to help him. And so we see this beautiful sense of partnership beginning to take place. Paul writes in Philippians 1-4 about this partnership. I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day on to now. It is because of this partnership they share... That Paul tells them, I long to greet you with the affection of Christ. Now some older translations, especially the King James, will use the word bowels there. I long, to, I long after you with all of the bowels of Jesus Christ. That's a funny way of saying. But both of these are statements of saying that, in all honesty, I love you. And I long to love on you, as we say today, with everything that I am. Now, to the Jewish people, our heart wasn't the most important part. Our stomach was. It's the place where you make your decisions. It's the place that gives you gut reactions. And to them, that was pretty much like the most important part. So it was kind of not uncommon to say I love you with all of my bowels. right? When Valentine's comes up, let's not try that one. This is one of the key concepts, this idea of partnership. And def- and we see that it not only defines the start of Paul's letter, but also the whole book of Philippians. I want to explore it in its fullness this morning. Now, Layman's Bible Commentary explains this idea of partnership like this. The basic meaning of this partnership is sharing. The idea of the united Christian action cannot be excluded from, But he, Paul, is properly thinking mostly of the very tangible expression of their Christian fellowship, which had invoked this letter, the gift of money. And N.T. Wright goes on, he says, In fact, this letter is all about partnership. In other words, all of Philippians is about partnership. One of the big important words in Paul's vocabulary. It is sometimes translated fellowship, but it clearly has a practical, even financial, implication, which our word fellowship doesn't always carry, right? We're having a fellowship meal today. Do we tend to think of that as much work for us to do outside of cooking or being there? And we don't really think of it as a financial aspect. It's a different idea that to the uh, Jewish people on what fellowship looks like. In Paul's world, it was the normal word for a business partnership. In which all those things involved would share, all those involved would share in doing the work on one hand and the financial responsibility in the other. The word for fellowship there is koinia. What is shared in common is what it literally translates as. What is shared in common? And, And if you would look at the Thayer's Greek dictionary, they actually suggest that there's three implications to this simple word. There's three things that Breakdown out of this word. One, the share which has in anything, the share which one has in anything, financial or through participation. It's fellowship through contact and intimacy. And it's jointly contributing or collecting. Now, Paul's an apostle, he's this forward moving and thinking guy, right? Apostle translated, apostolosis, is actually sent one. Paul is actu- accurately described as being the sent one. Paul's an avid vagabond and traveler who is always busy pioneering and looking for places to advance the kingdom of God. We might say he's always looking to gain new ground for the church. Now the worst thing that can happen to an apostle is when somebody stops them from pioneering or being sent. For Paul, that very thing happened. His worst possible nightmare became true when he's bound with chains and put into prison in in Rome. He can no longer make tents to support himself. He can no longer travel and meet face with those uh, he was investing in. He can no longer gain new ground for the church and for God's kingdom. However, Paul finds, as he's sitting in jail, that the church in Philippi has the vision. They're excited about the gospel message. They're excited about Paul's work, and so they pass the hat, they send him money, and Paul finds that even though he's now in custody, the partnership of the church in Philippi and Ephratus has equipped him to really proclaim this subversive message of the gospel. So even though Paul's in jail, He has an assistant, he has money, and he can continue his work. It is in this era that the apostle is locked up and locked down that we find Paul writing what we often call as the prison letters. Ephesians, Philippines, uh, Colossians, and Philemon. And some of those are the most bold, encouraging, confident letters of Paul's ministries. And I think they have to be contributed to the partnership in which Paul is encouraged. This is what gives Paul joy. As a result of their support, Paul confidently understands now that there's no project that God has started that he won't see finished. He will not allow any of his plans to be derailed, and Paul is able to continue in his mission thanks to the support of this church. Paul also knows that the church in Philippi still has a part to play for the gospel. Because of his experience, we find Paul overtly confident that God will finish the work he started in the church of Philippi as well. And it's because of this joy and confidence that has resulted from their partnership that Paul shares his letter that that he's praying for them. And the things I want us to take away this morning are what is included in what Paul is praying for them. The first thing we see is Paul prays That they will experience an abundance of love. Paul says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. So obviously, Paul's aware that they have love. They've already played witness to that when they sent him an assistant and sent him money. But Paul identifies that even though they have love, which was witnessed through their work, he wants an abundance of love to define this community. Paul sees love as an essential glue for them to check their motives by. Secondly, with that love, Paul prays for discernment and perception. Paul writes that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The word for knowledge there implies discernment, actually, especially between the ethical world of God and the world. The word for insight is a word that can be translated as perception, and it really speaks to kind of a self-awareness or awareness of what's happening around them. Paul desires that they not only grow in love, but also in knowing how to walk the path, and how to check themselves, mirror themselves, make sure they're on the right path, so that they can spread the gospel throughout their lives without tainting themselves or their message. Now thirdly, Paul hopes that they can see their persecution as a gospel opportunity, just as he has. Though the church is growing and, and If you would study the church in Philippi, it is a growing church. It is a a European church on fire. They are catching the vision, but they are not void from trial and persecution. They have given Paul an encouragement in his persecution, allowing him to continue on. But he hopes to invest that same encouragement in them. Paul has come to find his situation, his persecution, as gospel opportunity. He hopes and Wants to encourage the church in Philippi to see that their persecution or whatever opportunities they have are also gospel opportunities. Paul goes on to share that his chains have become a prophetic witness that has allowed him to proclaim or make loud the gospel without fear to even his palace guard. And likewise, Paul shares that others have been encouraged by seeing Paul's ability to declare the advancement of the gospel. Paul prays that this church will be loving, it will be wise, it will be self-aware, and that it will use opportunity for the gospel. Now lastly, Paul reminds, them, uh, reminds those that who spread the gospel out of goodwill to do so out of love, but they do not need to occupy themselves with others' motives. Paul says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. Now Paul goes on to say that those who preach out of goodwill are those who preach and pursue the gospel out of love. It is that very love that Paul has prayed for an abundance of. He also tells them that they should be concerned with why they are doing it, but not the ways that others are doing it. They should be just concerned that it's getting done. In other words, the outward motion part of the gospel, not the meeting together, is the most important. Now, do you ever notice that those who are most judgmental are usually those who are doing the least work? Those who are the most judgmental are usually those who are doing the least work. Paul is making sure that his church realizes the forward motion of the gospel is the most important thing, and that they are to all be doing it. You're not supposed to sit around and judge, okay, that person's doing it out of bad motive. Paul says, all that's useless. I don't care even if they're stirring up trouble for me here in jail while they do it. The most important thing is that the gospel of Christ is being preached. Now obviously the best way to do that is out of love, but I don't really care if the other people are doing it other ways because at least the seeds of Christ are getting out there. The outward motion is the most important. It's important for those who want to check themselves that your attitude needs to be in love. The layman's Bible commentary says, the little church in Philippi came near to being Paul's perfect or ideal congregation. It's important to know that the benchmark he prays for them so that we too can know and hold these standards high for ourselves, that we can check ourselves by them so we may find ourselves postured in love in knowledge, in depth or perception, and gospel fluency. This was a church that saw the vision. They had fully bought in with their hearts, their actions, and their money as co-laborers and co-workers in a mission, gospel mission partnership. Paul had hoped that this church would grow even more in love, and despite their persecution and despite the empire's progress that rolled down the Roman highway, Paul desired they would be bold and confident in their gospel partnership together. Now listen up. As the worship team comes up, this is the part I want to leave you with. It is important that we as a church also find ourselves catching, working, and spending ourselves for the mission and advancement of the gospel to the point where we see partnership as the glue that holds us together. May we also learn to pray together that we find an abundance of love, deeper knowledge, greater perception, growing boldness, and the ability to turn our situations into gospel opportunities. As we go out this morning, I encourage you to leave Philippians 1, 9 through 11 as your key verse for the week. Hold this before you. May you grow in these areas so that we too, as a church, can experience partnership for the gospel. Not gathering, but partnership. Bought in together, catching the vision as the Church of Philippi did. We are going to be singing a song um, called Be Filled. And this is right from Philippians 1, um, verses 9 through 11. it's really a prayer that we pray for ourselves and for each other. I pray that your love may abound more and more In knowledge and depth of insight To discern what is best To be pure and blameless Until the day of Christ comes from Jesus.